You're listening to episode 189 of Scaling Up. Welcome to Scaling Up. I'm your host, Elizabeth Hartke, and if you're listening to this, you're probably a maverick like me. How convenient because I literally made the show just for you. I'm a business scaling strategist that's been in the game for almost a decade now, and I'm weirdly passionate about helping impact-driven entrepreneurs, business owners, brands, and go-getters scale their businesses and their lives. Imagine taking your impact, your income, and your freedom of time to the levels that you can only dream about. Making your mission known to the world and mastering your business strategy so you don't have to keep on trading dollars for hours. I built two two comma businesses doing what I love, what I believe in, and a lot of that has to do with teaching you how to do the same. We drill down on strategy, but we know that it takes more than just business tactics to live the life that you envision. So we go deep on health optimization, mindset, leadership, relationships, and just being that scaled up version of you who is primed and ready to step into your purpose and peak performance. Some days I record this bad Larry from my closet to escape my three littles, and some days I'm down at my barn office on our 12-acre farm. So do me a favor, grab your notebook and a pen and your favorite bevy, and let's get to the show. Okay, hold on. Humor me for a second here because this is too good not to share. If if you've been following me for a while, I had I pretty much cut out all alcohol for a few years' time, which is crazy, but true. I'd have a drink, maybe like here or there, if we had friends over and we made a big dinner, or once every couple of months. Like one drink every couple of months, maybe. But I'd always pay for it later, and I hated that. Like, it's not worth it to me. I have three little kids. They don't care that mommy had a glass of wine the night before, and they're not going to let me sleep it off. I can't stand hangovers. I can't stand being foggy-brained or having a headache or whatever the next day. I'd have one glass of wine. I was turning into such a pathetic little lightweight, and it would cut into my work and my mood. It just it wasn't worth it. But if I'm being totally transparent, the Italian in me missed her wine, and that was just kind of my, like, curl up by the fire kind of drink or my cherry on top of an amazing Italian dinner kind of thing. But it wasn't worth it. And you also know that I'm totally obsessed with health. We've eliminated all the garbage in our lives as a family. And it never really occurred to me that I'm over here avoiding fruits and vegetables that are sprayed with chemicals, buying organic, But I'd drink a glass of wine, never putting two and two together that the grapes were being sprayed with all the toxins that we completely cut out of our lives. So when I heard about dry farm wines, I'm a skeptic and a research junkie. So I dug into it, organically grown grapes without any of the additives or toxins sprayed on them, the stuff that I hate, sugar-free, that's right, sugar-free. And sometimes I feel like for me, having a drink, the sugar hits me harder the next day than the alcohol even does, lower sulfites paleo and keto friendly. So I also am the type that never wants to recommend anything to you guys unless I've tried it for myself and tried it quite a few times. So I'm happy to report that I'm obsessed. My husband and I are obsessed with dry farm wines. I can drink wine again. I can curl up by the fire. I can have it with my big bowl of pasta. And I love the taste. And Really, I love the fact that it's small batch and supporting organic farmers all over the world. This is like you know, what I stand for in business too. I want to support the small businesses throughout the world. So if you care about that kind of stuff like I do, or you just really like good wine, go check them out. They've offered to do something special for you guys as my listeners of Scaling Up, and they're going to give you a bottle for one penny. They can't do it for free legally because of the whole alcohol thing. With your order at dryfarmwines.com forward slash Eliz, E-L-I-Z. So Man, it has just been so worth it 
to go this route. I can enjoy a glass of wine again. And if there's ever a bottle you don't love, they replace it, no questions asked. So that's always really appreciated because then you're not going to love every single wine that you try. It's a perfect gift for yourself, maybe, or for my fellow wine lovers and hangover haters. This is great for you. No hangover. Are you hearing the words coming out of my mouth? No hangover. So go check them out. Take advantage of what they're doing for our scaling up community. I so appreciate that. Dryfarmwines.com forward slash Eliz. Okay, thanks for letting me digress for a second here. And let's get back to the show. I've been eagerly awaiting today's conversation because you are going to get a taste of things that I find to be some of the most critical pieces of the puzzle when it comes to growing an incredibly thriving empire and at the same time honoring your health in the process. Lorraine Dahlmeyer is the award-winning CEO of Formula Botanica, the online organic cosmetic formulation and business school, and she has trained over 11,000 organic cosmetic formulators and indie beauty entrepreneurs in 170 countries. This incredible woman has been voted the most influential person in the natural beauty space for 2020 and awarded the Digital Achiever of the Year Award for the cosmetics industry by Google. And Lorraine wants to share her mantra of hard work and perseverance and get the message out to more entrepreneurs that they can also achieve sustainable online business success. She is a rock star in this space. We talk a lot about her journey to get here, the power of hard work, and truly what it's what it takes to stand the test of time. And that was probably my favorite part of today's conversation. She understands what it means to build a strong foundation in business and what you have to tactically do to connect and grow your audience for the long haul. You are going to want to hear the conversation today from the multi-million dollar empire owner, Lorraine. I have been looking forward to this chat for a while now. So Lorraine, I'm so excited to welcome you to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and I can't wait to chat to you. Yes. Well, first off, before we get into, I I know people are going to really want to hear about your business journey because that's why a lot of people tune in. But I want to let you know how much I stand behind your mission. And around when my oldest was born was when we started really paying attention to what's in the products that we're using and why it's so important to ensure that we are taking our health very seriously and we're using really wonderful products in our home, on our bodies. And the work you're doing with Formula Botanica is such critical work. So first of all, thank you for the work you're doing. And can we talk a little bit more about that? Because I I want people to know why this is so important. We have people that want to optimize their bodies. They want to be Uh, the best version of themselves for their business and in pursuit of what's important to them. Mm. Why can we start here? Oh gosh, so many reasons. There's a whole podcast episode in this as well. Sure there is. (laughs) Um, I mean, first of all, we work with the most amazing botanicals and our students do as well. And they get so excited by working with, you know, the plants, the roots, the seeds, the herbs, the petals, the buds, the barks. It is just so overwhelmingly inspiring when you first start because you're just surrounded by all this natural goodness. And a lot of these ingredients we've been using for millennia on our bodies and they work. We know this. And science is now starting to back this up as well, which is so exciting to see. So people are very much choosing a more natural approach. The other thing 
um, which I, I won't get on my soapbox too high to start with, but you know, the mainstream beauty industry has been telling us for a long time, like over 150 years, that we're not good enough, we're not beautiful enough, we don't smell right, we don't look right, we're not, we don't fit the mold that they've set for us, and they want us to buy their products for that reason. And I very much believe in us reclaiming some of that power by learning how to make our own and not being reliant on the products that are sold in the shop at a mass market level anymore. Because not only does it reclaim some of that power as well, but it's also more sustainable rather than buying, you know, 20 different products to put on our shelves. Like the average woman has 16 beauty products on her bathroom shelf. We learn how to make our own and you can mix up your own botanical batch of your serum or cleanser or shampoo or toner whenever you need it. And that is hugely empowering. So that's why we do it. Mm, it's so beautiful. And it's so true because people are becoming more interested in this. They want to take, like you said, to use your wording, they want to take back that power. We've been told what to do and how to do it and what to buy for so long that I think people are starting to lean into their own inner knowing and intuition and what's right for them as an individual, right? We've yeah. been blanketed across the board. Hey, all women, this is for you. Or all men, this is for you, versus saying, hey, what is it that you need? What is it that speaks to you or your body composition or what will be best for what you're seeking, right? Because we're all seeking different things too. So can you tell us a little bit more about the backstory? We want to hear what led you to this mission. Was it some crazy inspiring story? Was it just like little seeds planted along the way? Did you grow up in, uh, surrounded by this type of work? What, what was it that brought you here? <laughs> Well, I'm a biologist by training. And when I finished uh, my first degree, I decided to very much get into environmental work. Um, so I went back and did a master's degree. And I worked as an environmental consultant all over the world uh, for over a decade. I was based out in the Russian Far East for a while. I worked in the Netherlands. I'm from the Netherlands. I've lived in the States, in California. I've lived in Australia. Now, I've traveled a lot with work and with study. And I, I loved always connecting with the plants and that was something that I started to miss after a while, actually. So when I was out in the Russian Far East, I was working on the world's largest oil and gas facility, which was an enormous, exciting adventure, not very sustainable, which is partly why I left. But also I found myself on construction sites all the time. And I was like, where are the plants? <laughs> you know, I'm not getting to work with this. And so I realized that I wanted to do something that connected me back with those plants and with those roots. And the other thing was that I don't like working for other people. <laughs> I feel you on that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. So when I went on maternity leave for the first time with my with my eldest son, who's going to be 11 soon, I realized that I had the headspace to finally think about what I could do for myself. And so I realized this is my opportunity. I need to grab it, even though I am so tired. I'm so sleep deprived. You know, I'm sat here with my baby who never stops feeding. I still have this opportunity to do something and make something for myself. So that's, I guess, where it all started. And uh, yeah, from that point onwards, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, to be honest. It always is. And I wanted to, I'll, I'll uh, extract more of that story along the way, because you know, we were talking before I hit record here about how important it is when we have people on the show, I never want to cast this perception that these amazing leaders that we have on the show just somehow woke up one day in that position, right? There was this roller coaster ride that they had to endure to get to where they are. And the and the roller coaster continues. It, it's yeah. not like there's ever any end destination that we've really made it to if we're doing it right. So we'll we'll unpack that a little bit more. But 
I, we can move on from my rant about wanting to focus on clean living because I just think yeah. it's so so important. You've done so many incredible things in the business space. You've been voted most influential person in natural beauty for 2020, um, digital achiever of the year for cosmetics industry by Google. You know, your online cosmetic formulation and business school is absolutely rocking, doing amazing work in the world. What do you feel like you are doing differently than a lot of other people maybe in your industry or even across other industries? You know, there are a lot of parallels no matter what industry you're in when you're in business or in entrepreneurship that run across the board. A couple of things. Um, The first thing is I don't cut corners ever. I build really solid, strong foundations, and those foundations have to be rock solid. And that way, when something new happens, like the new iOS 14 uh, release has thrown the digital marketing world into a complete tailspin because of ads, etc., we have a rock solid foundation. And whilst you know we can be rocked a little bit, we're we're pretty much unshakable most of the time because of that. For me, it's about building things that stand the test of time. So that's the first thing. The second thing is I am all about the content marketing. So I love creating content. I I built my first website in 1995 when I was 15 years old. I was geeking out with the internet. Um, And it's lasted from there, really. And so we we churn out blog posts all the time and podcasts. I have my own Green Beauty Conversations podcast where I talk about, you know, things that are happening in the beauty industry. And it's just constant videos and live streams. It is all about offering value to people. Yes. We write great quality materials that we put out there in the world. And because of that, when I took over Formula Botanica, because I didn't start it, I was one of its first ever students and I bought it on my second maternity leave. Uh, we were getting a thousand hits a month on the website. Now we get half a million views per month on the website. So that shows you the difference that seven years of just consistent content marketing can make. So it's all about building those foundations and then building consistency into your business and putting content and value out there in the world. And those are the two things that I see people really struggle with. And not just that, I see people sort of not see the results as quickly as they want to, and then they pivot. They go, oh, I'm bored of this now. I'll do something else. And it really surprises me that a lot of the business owners that I sort of have grown up with online are no longer doing the things that they did when I first started with them. They just seem to change every couple of years. And I get it, but that's not how you build a business that will turn into an empire that will change the world. You have to stick with it, basically. Yes. And you are speaking my language, just going back to that concept of building a strong foundation. To me, that's one of the plagues of this generation of entrepreneurship is they don't understand that principle of building something to stand the test of time, to last for generations, something with a succession plan where you're really committed to your mission. Because when you are so invested in your mission, like you, the work you do, you believe in all the way into your bones, right? So it would be out of integrity for you to pivot because this is what you're called to do. Even if it's hard, even if the market is, you know, screaming something else at you, you are on a journey because of what has been placed on your heart and what you are called to do. And that is how you build the foundation. And I think today what I'm seeing, and I don't know if you've witnessed this in your industry as well, is a lot of entrepreneurs are building things at a very much at a surface level and at a fast pace. It's like yeah. go wherever your wherever the wind is taking you versus you dictating 
what the market would want, you know? Yeah. So what are, what's trending? What's popular? What will get people to hit like? What will get people to get a quick purchase on a specific launch instead of trying to build something foundationally that can grow from there? And I think that's what's wrong with entrepreneur. One of the things that's wrong with entrepreneurship today mm -hmm. and why so many people are not standing the test of time, why they have to pivot so often because they didn't build something true and strong and convicted in the first place. Yeah, no, it's very true. I see people really wanting to go quickly and to give you, to give you an idea. I mean, I often stand up on stages and on podcasts and I talk about how hard I've worked. Like I have worked really hard and I'm not ashamed to put that out there and not everyone wants to hear that we were talking to my team was talking to a podcast um, that was all about making digital marketing easy and they put my pitch to them and they were like no we don't want her on <laughs> because they're trying to create that vision of it's really easy anyone can do this and anyone can as long as you're willing to put the hard grind into it because you don't just build something huge and global without lots of blood, sweat and tears involved. But you're right. If you have that mission inside of you, if this overrides everything else that you want to do and you can't do anything else, it just has to burst out of you, then right. that is what will make you a success ultimately. So you have to figure out what that why is. And I see so many people talking about finding your why. And I see a lot of people sort of nodding along with it. But I think a lot of the time people don't truly understand what that means until they finally locked in on it. And then they're like, oh, now I know this is what I was meant to do. And I'm going to drive this forward as hard as I can. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. And I want to talk about the content marketing piece, too, because for me, the the principle of true content marketing goes right in line with this concept of doing things over a long period of time and working really hard. And it's that concept of adding value for them, not from the angle of, I'm going to put this out there, what's in it for me? Yeah. This is another thing that I see, a mistake I see people making, and we see it all the time because of social media, I think, where it's like, okay, I put a piece of content out, now let me look at the vanity metrics and see what was in it for me. How many people liked it? How many people shared it? How many people saved it? How many people you know, interacted with it and engaged with it? How much better was it than my last post? And then if I put the content out and it didn't perform well, do I take it down because I don't wanna be perceived as someone who's not getting those vanity metrics instead of knowing I have a piece of value for my people. If it hits one person on their heartstrings, then it's done its job. And I'm not going to sweat the small the you know sweat the small stuff of those little details every single time I put something out there because I'm so focused inward on what it's doing for me. And co true content marketing, the people that we see and admire that have captured the market in certain industries have been doing it for years on end, not worrying about the end result of yeah. each piece of content they put out and only knowing that they are seeking to add value to their people. So can you give us some insight into that piece of the puzzle with a little more detail? Like how have you embraced the struggle of content marketing and those vanity metrics no matter what and kept going forward? It's a great question. Um, and thank you for asking me that. I think what's interesting is tying in with what you just said, I often get asked the question, well, how do you know what to publish for your followers? And the answer to that is very simple. It's I ask them. And everyone's always like, oh, 
that's really easy. <laughs> why didn't I think right. of that? And I'm like, well, I don't know why you didn't think of that. I'm a little concerned <laughs> that you didn't think of that, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because we, you know, I've been talking to our community from day one. So Formula Botanica, when I got started with it, was tiny. It was a one woman side hustle. And I bought this on my second maternity leave as my side hustle hobby business. It was just me. I did everything. I did the teaching. I did the marketing. I did the website. I did the tech. I did the grading. I did the finance, everything. And then obviously I was in there with our community every day and I got to know them. In fact, some of them are now my friends. You know, I know these people and I I truly cherish the relationships that I have with them. And I, through those conversations, got to know them really well and got to understand exactly who our target customer was. And I now have a really intimate knowledge of those people. And I know exactly why they came to us and how we helped them and and what the, the, the sort of crux is of how our courses changed their life. And so once I had that information, the rest of it just sort of flowed out of that, really, because I knew exactly what they were looking for. I knew what questions they had. I was talking to these people all the time. So writing a blog post, recording a podcast, going live to answer a question was a no brainer, really, because I was being swamped in questions that went over and above the course materials or or sort of supplemented the course materials. So we started blogging. I started blogging in the beginning. And that's where I started rather than thinking about social media and the vanity metrics for me it was about the actual content I view social media as a tool to deliver the content but I also deliver the content via email and I deliver the content by word of mouth and by sharing and by chatting to people and you know whatever you can do to get your content out is is the best way really so for me it wasn't ever about how many likes I was getting or how many followers I had it was about how my piece of content went went down with our community and of course the more I I researched and the more I got into it the more I realized how easy it was to get to the top of Google because I mean that space I was in was wide open and still is really and we're the number one hitting Google for so many of our blog posts and they stand the test of time in fact we go in and refresh them sometimes as well and add more new content and it would be easier to create a new piece of content and go hey we've got something new but actually we go back and revamp it because it is so important that the quality is good because if someone looks at that quality at that content and thinks wow this has really helped me they might also think if this is the free stuff what must the paid stuff be like yeah exactly amen (laughs) i almost have no words to add to that because it was just so spot on exactly what i was thinking so i want to go back in time a little bit to the early stages of the journey maybe you know second maternity leave you purchase this company you're doing all the things on your own can you remember or describe a stage of the game where you really didn't know if this would become something big or not you know you know that it's like the tipping point right where where a lot of people i don't know if you've ever seen that image it's a cartoon image of a uh of a little miner underground and he's chipping away and he can't see how close he is to hitting gold yeah so he gives up and he's only like an inch away because he's been chipping and it's not happening and then there's the one who, you know, gives that one more swing and he he strikes gold. They were they were one swing apart, but it was that feeling of like, man, I've been doing this forever and it's just not getting to where I want it to go. Mm. Can you remember those days and what was that like for you? What kept you going? 
For me, yeah, I can remember those days. I mean, when I took over Formula Botanica, I had an eight-month-old baby and a three-year-old toddler in tow with me and my legal team. That was interesting in itself, <laughs> doing that. Right. And then I, I bought this company. And at the time, you know, I remember saying to everyone, do you think I should do it? And I got the accounts, uh, my accountant looking at it, my partner and my in-laws and my family, everyone had an opinion. And in the end, everyone was like, yeah, this would be a nice little hobby business for you, Lorraine so patronizing in hindsight right exactly <laughs> and so I bought it and I was I had internalized that message this is my hobby business you know this isn't a serious thing this is just something Lorraine does on the side while she works in her day job so I went back from maternity leave and at that point interestingly the tipping point for me was that I was ghosted back at work so I had a really good job I was paid well I mean, I worked for really nice people, but I'd been away for 13 months because here in the UK, we have long maternity leaves and they hadn't really prepared for my return. And I came back and I was sort of knocking on the door each week going, do you have any work for me? And they were like, no, sorry, Lorraine. I'm not the sort of person who can sit there and take a salary and not get and and not contribute. So I decided I had to turn it into something else because I couldn't possibly be sat there just wasting my time when I had so much to give. So I threw myself into the business and I had been studying digital marketing techniques, mainly whilst breastfeeding on the sofa, to be honest. You know, I always <laughs> had children on me at some point. That's when so, I did my best work too. <laughs> so I sat there with my phone, just studying all these techniques. And I thought, okay, I, I sort of get it. It's all really logical. You know, you just provide value and you go and connect with people and you do your best and you show up. And so I, I started doing that. And then after a few months, I'd recoup my investment. And I remember saying to my partner, okay, I think, you know, we've, we've broken even now. I think I should quit my job. And he was like, no, <laughs> no, don't do that, Lorraine. You should stay in it for at least another year and make sure that everything's okay. And I was like, nope, that's it. I'm going. <laughs> so I quit my job. And at that point, I had to make it work. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there was no other option. I'd always said, you know, I can always walk into another job somewhere. But in reality, it would have been a struggle because, of course, I had young kids. So I threw myself into it and started really showing up and making myself visible. And that was the tipping point, actually, because the moment I put myself on video, on webinar, on camera, and people could see me and connect with me, that's when it really flew. And I haven't looked back from that point onwards. And clearly, it's not a hobby business now. You know, I have 40 staff. We sold $5 million worth of courses last year. You know, we are flying. And if anyone dares to call it a hobby business again, they'll be hearing from me. <laughs> we wouldn't we wouldn't dare <laughs> I know I see I feel like that's such a common start for so many people in businesses especially women it's like if we call it a hobby business then if we fail it's like oh well it's no big deal I'll just find another hobby it's almost yeah. a mental game that we play with ourselves to cushion our fall mm -hmm. and when we go into it with the mindset of this is it. It's do or die. Kind of like when you got to that place where, you know, you had only just recouped what you had spent and you were ready to take that leap of faith. Mm. That was when it got real. When you stopped looking at it as that hobby and then your back was against the wall and you treated it like a business, it's going to reward you like a business. And yes. I think that would serve a lot of people in their spaces if they honored what they were trying to build the way it deserved to be honored, because otherwise it's not going to reward them in that way. Along the way on this roller coaster, we know how you had to grow the business. 
you know, there, there are certain fundamentals to growing a business, to scaling a business where you probably brought in your first person and then you started to systemize some things and you launched new offerings and whatever it might be. How did you have to grow alongside your business? I mean, the reality is, is that a lot of people focus so much time on elevating their business that they do, but they haven't elevated themselves in a way to become the person to run that next level, next stage of their business. And that's where they see struggle. So how did you have to elevate in this process? Oh, that is such a great question. Wow. Um, I recently came across the first ever video that I recorded for my business. Oh, isn't that humbling? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was sort of like, oh, there's a reason I've never shared this. I may, totally. I may bite the bullet one day and put it out there. And I looked at it and I cringed the whole way through and I sent it to my business partner and I said, okay, this hasn't been shared with anyone else, but look at this. This is awful. And he went, wow, you know, you are a different person in this video. And it, that was very true. I was quite timid. I wasn't, I mean, I've always been quite outspoken, but I have really had to change who I am in my business in terms of confidence. And I feel like in the beginning, I wasn't the CEO. In fact, I think it's taken me six years to get to the stage and I'm now in year seven or year eight. So it's quite a recent change that I feel like I now am a CEO. And that has been a massive shift. And I've had to grow hugely along the way, you know, because when you're constantly being told, oh, this is only small, this is a hobby, you know, why should I take you seriously? You start to internalize those messages. But once you start to see real success, you sort of punch through those walls a bit and you stand there and you go, I am in charge and I'm the one who's got us here. I have dragged us forward. I have overcome all these challenges. I've jumped over those hurdles and I will take that with me for the rest of my life. And that's, I think, the biggest change is how I have sort of grown in confidence through this. But I've only done that by doing it. You know, that isn't something that just happens overnight. There is, as you said at the beginning, you know, there is no such thing as an overnight success. And the same goes with growing into that CEO role. It takes time. And people don't want to put in that time. And it, and you know what? Some people are not averse to hard work. You know, like anyone can work hard if they're willing. You know, you follow the steps, you do the things, you get it done. But the heart work, like the elevating yourself in the process, often requires you to look in the mirror and face things that humble you or that are hard to face or that you have to unearth from years ago or whatever it might be, that's a lot harder because it's emotional versus just brute force of hard work. You know, anyone can sit in their office from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. and just power through work. But to take the time to say, what is it in me that is not where it needs to be and why and what do I have to deal with or face or do differently or give up or take on to become that version of me that is going to get this to where I want it to be. And and that's a painful process. And I think that's why a lot of people don't make it is and they don't know it's that yeah. they think it's the work. They think it's the industry. They think it's the business they ran. They think it's the market, whatever it might be. But it's really them. It's a, yeah. a leadership failure. Yeah, it's so true. Absolutely. And I've, I've watched so many of our graduates go through this as well. Mm -hmm. you know, the ones who do the best are the ones who get up again every single time they're knocked down and yeah. they don't let anything stop them. And it was the same for me. You know, I I worked in a, 
having worked in the energy industry, the international energy industry for over a decade, it was a very male dominated environment. You know, one of my first jobs, as I said, I was I was out in the Russian Far East. I was on this major oil and gas facility, facility 19,000 people, most of them male. Most of the expats were over a certain age. They, I rocked up at the office one day and someone was like, oh, you're here to see your dad. You know, that's oh how gosh. they me. I know it was awful. I was 25 years old. I didn't look like I was a teenager. But basically, I kept being told, you're too young, you're too inexperienced. And then it changed. You're too scary. You're too intimidating. You're too outspoken, Lorraine. And you start to really take those messages with you. And it's taken me a long time to get back to the stage that I'm like, I'm too outspoken. Good. Excellent. I'm glad you feel that way. Now yeah. let's move on. <laughs> so you have two boys, is that right? Yes, they are awesome. eight and almost 11. Mm, fun ages, I'm sure. Yes. And a lot of our listeners have little ones or even little ones in their lives. You know, they don't, you don't have to be a parent to have direct connection with kids or youth that are following in our path. So you talk a lot about hard work. How are you teaching them the value of hard work? Are you, you know, I just like to pick other parents' brain more selfishly <laughs> of like, hey, give me the secrets if you got something that's working. So you know, how are you instilling that in them? Do they have responsibilities around the house as kids? Do they have any role in your business? Do you just have conversations about it? Yeah, that's a great question as well. Yeah, we talk about it a lot, actually. And they understand. I mean, they watch me work long hours, but I work from home. So I'm in my office here. I pick them up from school every day. I will say that that is my golden rule. And everyone's like, what do you mean you're not available at this time? I'm like, no, I'm in the car picking up the children. And that is non-negotiable. And you can just wait until I'm back. Thank you very much. Um, But I they watch me work really hard. And I often talk to them about our enrollment periods, our launches. My eldest is really good at maths. I will often bring up our stats, our financial stats, and I'll talk him through them because I want him to see what that's like. My parents started their own business when I was eight in their spare room. And I watched them grow it and move into commercial premises and hire staff and sell it when I was in my first or second year at university. And I want that for my kids as well, that they understand that through hard work, you can change your life. And they already have seen it. I mean, daddy is retired. You know, he doesn't have to work anymore. We bought our dream home. They know that that's because of Formula Botanica. We talk about these things openly with them. And it's important for me that they understand that if they want to go out into the world and and create a livelihood for themselves, they can do that. And in fact, last year, even my son was like, right, I want to go make something in the garage and go sell it on the road. And we were like, OK, well, let's rein that one in a little bit. But great that you have the entrepreneurial spirit already. <laughs> oh, that's great. Cool. Yeah. So could you see them ever, either of the boys uh, being a part of Formula Botanica? I don't know. Maybe. Possibly not, though, because I, I don't think I'll be doing this for another hmm. 15 years, to be honest. I, I want other things as well and I don't have an exit plan at the moment but I won't be doing this until the day I die I think because there is so much more out there in the world as well and I also and I will say this I think Formula Botanica has the potential to be a household name I think we, I I want to teach the world to formulate, but there will come a point that there will be so much more required. We'll probably need offices, we'll need all sorts of things in order to get it to that level that I don't know if that will be me leading that on, to be honest, but we haven't got to that stage yet. So we're still a way off. I love that you talk about that because I think sometimes people 
listening, they might forget that that's an option, you mm-hmm. know, that that build a business that is so uh, foundationally strong, like you talked about, and mission-driven and purposeful and successful that you don't have to be the one to take it on forever for it to continue to thrive. And and knowing too where your uh, stopping points are based on what you want for your life. You know, yep. there's there's more to life than business as kids right. suggest so often. So I think it's a beautiful thing that you openly share that, you know, your goal isn't to be the one driving it forward forever because sometimes that's not what's in the best interest of both you and your family, but also the business itself. Right. It might need somebody else or something else to go to another place in the future. Yeah. And I know where I want Formula Botanica to go, but I also know what's involved in order to get there. Right. And I think, you know, at the moment we don't have investors, we don't have external partners or anything like that. We don't need them. But in the future, I could imagine Formula Botanica being absolutely enormous because anyone can formulate. Every single person in the world can do this. They can make their own lotions and moisturizers and serums and it, like I said at the beginning, not only is it fun and, and easy and empowering, but it's sustainable as well. You can do this. And I think I think there is such enormous potential there. I would love to see Formula Botanica take over the world. Hmm. Well, I'll be cheering you on and cheering it on for sure. And any other words of wisdom that you want to leave our listeners with today? I think the main thing to keep in mind in the infamous words of Nemo is just keep swimming. I know <laughs> I it wasn't it. Nemo. Was it Dory? I can't remember. <laughs> I, think it, I think it was Nemo. Yeah. I think you had it right. Okay. Yeah. Just keep swimming. You just got to keep going. You got to mm-hmm. show up every day. Don't just change your mind because it hasn't gone right for a week or a month or even half a year. Keep going. If you know that what you have is a great product or service and you know that you can change someone's life with it, just do it. What have you got to lose? You know, it could be the most exhilarating thing you ever do in your life and rewarding thing as well. So just keep swimming. Beautiful advice. Thank you so much for your time today. And again, for what you're doing. I think you're totally right. And what comes to mind when I talk to you is this idea of, you know, we have to be our own advocates and we have to seek to heal ourselves and take care of ourselves. We can't just rely on companies or other people to do it for us. And in the formulation process, I think that's the gift in it. We determine what is best for us and then we cultivate it and create it. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been really lovely talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today. Before you go, make sure you take a minute to subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on all of those amazing fromies, freebies for my homies, obviously, and content that we're creating just for you. And if you like today's episode, can you help us out and help us get this in the hands of more people by taking a screenshot of today's episode and sharing it with your friends, tagging me, passing it around on social media. Guys, we've got to get this mission and this movement out there to more people so that they are living their purpose and living out their dreams and getting paid for it well too. I'm also so thankful for all the amazing feedback we've been getting in the reviews. So if this podcast is helping you grow, take a second and go review us on iTunes and be sure to check out today's show notes for more details and takeaways from the show. Until next week, guys, keep scaling up.